might not need that. So, so yeah. Uh, so before I get into my story, um, I'd like to talk about a question, and it's a question that we all have to answer. And it, your answer is going to change over time as you go throughout your life, and even as adults. Uh, it is one of the most important questions you'll ever answer, and you will have an answer whether you realize it or not. And that's the question, who am I? Ask yourself that. Who am I? How do you define yourself? You know, the way you answer that question is going to determine the way you live your life. It's going to determine how you spend your time. It's going to determine how you treat other people. And most dramatically, it's going to determine how you treat yourself. It's been a really rough journey for me through many wrong answers to that question. Because it's, it's easy to believe lies about yourself. Very easy. You know, it's easy to believe that who you are is defined by the things you've done. Or maybe the family you come from. Maybe who your friends are. Could be your accomplishments or maybe your failures. You know, so what about me? How do I answer that question? Who am I? I am a beloved child of God. My name is Paul, and this issue of identity has been one that's been so difficult for me because for pretty much all of my life, I've had the struggle with homosexuality. And I know there are some conflicted messages about this. You know, the world is gonna say, well, there's nothing wrong with that, or, you know, that's just who you are. Or maybe they'll say, you know, well, you have the right to be whoever you want to be, or, you know, love whoever you want to love. And the world is going to make all these statements about morality and your identity and freedom. But in my experience, none of these answers are very satisfying. So let's get to it. I was raised in a very conservative church family. So very early on in my childhood, I learned the rules. There's nothing wrong with that. The rules aren't a bad thing. They're, you know, they're those things that keep us safe. They're not there to keep us from having fun or having freedom. They're actually there to protect us. And, uh, you know, the younger we are, the less we actually realize those things that are going to be dangerous to us. So that's why God gives us those things, and that's why our parents give us rules. But the problem with this is that Knowing those rules is only half the truth. You see, when I was growing up, there was so much pressure to do the right thing because we were that church family. You know, we were this perfect little Christian family, and mostly because I was afraid of getting in trouble with my mom, I was like this good little church boy on the outside. On the inside, I was crumbling and falling apart. You know, on the outside, you know, I never fought with my brother and sister. I memorized all my verses in Awana. You know, I, got I was a straight-A student, actually. And, but with all that, it never seemed to be enough for my parents. I don't think I realized it till much later that, really, I was trying to earn their love. See, the part of my family that no one ever saw was that my parents were fighting all the time. And it's really difficult, actually, for me to remember any days when there wasn't, like, yelling and screaming, or at least that cold, angry silence. Most of the time, it was between my mom and my dad. 
But it was also so easy to become the target of their anger when I did something wrong, or more often when I failed to do something right. You know, there wasn't any physical abuse. That, that was fine. But the yelling was never as bad as the silence. That silence was really loud, and it really said to me, when you're bad, I don't want a relationship with you. Home wasn't a very safe place emotionally. You know, I, I always felt like I had to be perfect. And, you know, if I messed up, there was like just so much shame. You know, it wasn't a safe place to make mistakes. You know, and the only time I could be myself is like when I was in my room alone. You know, every other time I felt like and everywhere I went, it was just a performance I was putting on, trying to, you know, be happy, be good, look like everything's all right. So I couldn't talk to my, about, to my parents about anything that was really going on in my life, nothing real. So when I started to have these feelings, oh boy, I knew it was wrong and I was scared and I knew it was a secret that I had to keep. You know, I could never tell them. And because my parents were actually involved with so many areas of my life, you know, volunteering at church and at school, there was really no one else I felt safe enough to tell either because I knew my parents would find out. So it was in junior high that I knew that I was attracted to other guys. And it wasn't just to my classmates either, it was to the male teachers. So it was kind of a broad thing, it just kind of wiped out everything. But even before then, I never really felt like I fit in with the other boys. You know, I didn't have any real friends. I mean, there were people that I ate lunch with, but that was like it. We didn't really talk or spend time together. And part of it was because I was sheltered as a kid. You know, it was pretty much just school, home, church. That's it. I didn't get to hang out with other kids. And I think that when I was growing up, I thought that's what it meant to be good. You focus on your schoolwork, you're loyal to your family, you're regular at church, and anything else really wasn't important. And my parents didn't really encourage me to get involved with any sports or hobbies. So what happened was I'm like that straight A kid, the smart kid in class that has nothing in common with anybody else. I was already very lonely because of that. And I think because it was so normal, I didn't even realize how alone I really was. And now, by the time I got to junior high, not only was now I alone, but I was, and I was different, but now with these new feelings, I felt that I was disgusting. By the time I got to high school, things really began to fall apart. You know, I graduated from junior high at the top of my class, and the funny thing about that is that accomplishment was really the start of my despair. You know, I don't think I would have been able to define it at the time, but I realized, like, looking back now, in that moment, I learned two things growing up. And the first one was the disappointment of my mother. And the second was this disinterest from my father. Never noticed, you know. I felt that I would never be good enough, never be acceptable to them. And to me, 
that meant that I would never be able to earn their love. And I would carry these two images of parenthood into my relationship with God. You know, that hurt went so deep that even to this day, he still has to remind me that that's not the kind of father that he is. What happened in high school was that I really began to give up on ever being lovable. You know, I was so ashamed of my feelings, and like I knew there was something so like disgusting and wrong with me. You know, I really began to hate myself, and I knew that God hated me. Oh yeah, I knew the rules, but I didn't know love. The despair that I went through in high school was really overwhelming. You know, and all the while I still was acting like everything was all right, trying to act like that good boy in school. And I remember, like, as my classmates, they, you know, we're getting through high school and they start talking about going on to college, planning for their future, and I was so detached from that. They're planning their future, and really, I was planning to die. I would often think about suicide. You know, I just, I felt there was never going to be a future for me. There was nothing good in me. I just felt like I was something dirty. You know, I felt I was a horrible mistake, some kind of monster. I knew I didn't deserve to live. You know, sometimes I would cut myself. And I think I was just wondering how far I would go. But I also knew that I was going to hell. I think it was partly that fear that kept me alive. You know, I remember that there was one thought in the middle of all that despair. The only way out would be if God healed me. That was it. I knew that as long as I was gay, that God could never want me. And I mean, I, there was no place in my family if I was gay. I mean, there could not be any place for me in the church if I was gay. You know. I really didn't know if God would hear my prayers because I, I, I just believe that you know, God doesn't really listen to sinners. But like, there was nothing else I could do. I prayed and God was silent. I managed to survive high school, obviously. Went right into college and uh, I get into college and I get involved in a campus ministry because that's what a good boy is supposed to do. But it was the first time I got to experience the church apart from the influence of my parents. And it was something real that I had never had before. You know, I would say that even though that I grew up as a Christian in a Christian home, that it really wasn't until then that I became a Christian, that my faith became my own. You know, it wasn't just the faith of my parents anymore. And it was also for the first time I think I began to have real friends. You know, I was able to open up about my life, about the brokenness in my home that we had kept secret, and about my sexuality. And I found that there were people who, they still love me even when they know, knew the worst things about me. I think even back then I started to see what God was planning for my life, but I just wasn't ready for it yet. Unfortunately, that time with these new friends and that new experience, it didn't last. 
I drifted away from all of those friends when I left school. I moved away from home, so that was good. I got a full-time job and fell back into isolation. You know, I'd like to tell you that everything got better with Jesus. It didn't. See, my new relationship with Christ was not enough because I still believed that God could never want me until he healed me. I couldn't really believe that God had a plan and a purpose for my life. He couldn't use me. I still felt worthless. And because I was alone again, the past was just too strong. I started hooking up with men that I met on the internet. And because my life really wasn't worth much to me, it didn't seem like a big deal to throw it away by letting these, these men, these strangers, use me over and over again. It was a really ugly time in my life. You know, I started cutting myself again. I think the sex and the cutting were both attempts to like feel something. You know, I was so disconnected and my depression over this had gone on for so long that I just was so like numb. You know, I think I was so lonely that I was kind of looking for like this human connection in these sexual encounters, even if it was just physical. You know, there wasn't any love there. And all through those years, that prayer, I kept praying on and on for God to take my homosexuality away from me. This has to be the only way. And he answered. It took me a really long time to hear it and even longer to understand it. He said, no. I'm like, what? I don't understand. How could you want this for me? You know, God said, no. I'm not going to take this away from you. Eventually, he showed me this verse. So therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. You know, as I read these words from the Apostle Paul, I really began to identify with him. You know, here was another Paul, same name, who had this thorn in the flesh, and, and just like me, he begged for God to take it away. And God said no. See, remember, I believe that as long as I was gay, that God could never want me. He could never use me or accept me or most of all that he could never love me. And I thought that my only hope was for him to take it away from me. Instead, he said, my child, 
If I healed you now, you would go on believing a lie. It would be a lie that would keep you from knowing my love. And you would spend the rest of your life trying to earn what I died to give you freely. He says, my grace and my love come to you, not after you're fixed, but when you're broken. Wasn't the answer I wanted, (laughs) but it was so much better. It was the answer I needed. I'm still gay. You know, and God has not healed me the way I thought I needed him to. And I'm okay with that now. I realize, you know, I don't need him to take the thorn away from me. It still hurts. And, you know, I'm not going to say I'm thankful for it. Because, as Paul calls it, it is a messenger of Satan. It's, it's always speaking lies, always tempting, always accusing. But I have seen God's grace and love in ways that I never imagined. You see, excuse me, sorry. Coming to terms with my sexuality was never gonna be just about accepting it. Because, you know, I was never gonna be able to convince myself that homosexuality was not a sin. I had too much of a background in the Bible. And even in those years when I was acting out, I knew it was wrong, I never believed it wasn't. You know, looking back, I am thankful that my parents raised me in the church. You know, as broken as our family was, they taught me that God was important. You know, they loved me as much as they could, just two broken people trying to raise a son. And even when our family fell apart, I still had that foundation that I could just never really walk away from. You know, I really don't know how much worse my life might have been if I did not have that foundation, if I didn't know the Bible, know the scripture. You know, I honestly think I would be dead by now. You know, when I was acting out, I put myself in a lot of dangerous situations. You know, and the guilt and the shame that I felt after every time that I was with a man, you know, There was no peace. I I couldn't continue in that life. Eventually, I stopped meeting men for sex, and I was still really alone, but I started understanding the life that God would have for me. You know, coming to terms with my sexuality was never going to be just about accepting who I am, because, what's the funny thing? It's not who I am. I'm still gay, that label, but at the same time, I'm not. It's not my identity. My identity is in Christ. I am a child of God, first and foremost, before anything else. See, my problem was that I felt that my life was defined by my sin, that when God looked at me, that all he saw was this filthy, disgusting thing. And he had to show me this is not who I am. So acceptance for me meant 
being okay with the fact that I'm broken and God still loves me anyway. You know, as far as I know, you know, I'm going to struggle with this for the rest of my life. Uh, when I say I'm gay, it just means that I'm attracted to guys instead of girls. It's not who I am. It's just this, this um, like a broken desire that I have to deal with. You know, we all have desires for things that are not of God. That's just part of living in these broken bodies, in this broken world. You know, I had to learn that, you know, when we follow God, when we become Christians, he doesn't remove all the temptations. You know, everyone's going to struggle with temptation throughout their lives. You know, and if, it not, if you're not struggling, it either means you're dead or you've completely given into it. If you're struggling with whatever sin, it means you're fighting back. And not only is God cheering you on, but he's fighting by your side. Yeah, he does most of the work. He gives us the freedom to choose, and in Christ, he gives us the power to overcome our temptations. You know, and I know all this talk about struggles makes it sound like I'm just gonna be miserable for the rest of my life, that I'm never gonna be happy. You know, it's not that bad. When I'm walking in obedience, these temptations and these feelings, they kind of just fade into the background. It's not overwhelming unless I let it. You know, when I let that first attraction, you know, turn into desire and then let it become lust. You know, I still almost daily notice guys that I think are handsome or attractive in other ways. You know, I just have to kind of just brush it off. And I'm not attracted to every single man I see. You know, but sin is deceitful. And I have found that sometimes I'm attracted to guys that I totally did not expect. I'm like, really? You know, it's funny though that like within the church though, because I know people mainly first as a brother in Christ, that the attraction kind of just dies before I even notice it. Like I see them differently. And the closer I know someone, the less I even notice them physically at all. You know, that's been part of the healing process. You know, learning to have healthy relationships with other men. To be able to like develop emotional affection for my friends that's not sexual at all. You know, I think that when I began to wrestle with like what my life would look like following God and obeying, I was afraid that it, it meant that maybe I can't have any friends. That in order to stay pure meant that I would have to stay isolated. You know, and I've been wary of even simple physical affection. You know, I guess I, I was afraid that I might feel something impure. You know, and I was also afraid that when other people knew about my struggle that they would be uncomfortable around me. And God set out to prove me wrong. One of the things that kind of surprised me in my relationship with other men is that they would still greet me with a hug even after they knew about my struggle. I was like, really? You know, I, I really wouldn't have been surprised if people, once they found out about me, that they would just kind of keep me at a distance. That's kind of what I've expected. And that's, uh, you know, that's really been important to me because I think my struggle with homosexuality made me believe that I was kind of untouchable. You know, so when, when these guys, like, at the church, you know, they still accept me. 
that little simple hug or even just like that simple handshake, just that physical touch, meant, it, it becomes like this mes message that says, you know, you're not untouchable. You're not disgusting to me. I love you. You know, and feeling accepted by people has been, it's actually almost been difficult for me to accept it or even believe it. And that really addresses the biggest issue that I've had with, with the homosexual issue is the loneliness. You know, yeah, if I'm going to walk with God, it does mean that I'm going to be alone for the rest of my life. Or, you know, I'm not going to have a family like other people. But I'm finding that God is giving me a different kind of family in the church. And that's been surprising. It's been a long process, though. It's, you know, a long time I felt that homosexuality was worse than other sins. Sometimes it seems like that. You know, and I mean, I've learned that all sins are equally bad because all sins are horrible because they separate us from God. But like in their church culture, it can seem like there are those really bad sins that nobody wants to talk about and they don't really don't want to confess. You know, I know, you know, and there are some sins that maybe are more immediately dangerous than others. But the problem is like when we can't talk about a particular sin, whatever that may be, it stays hidden. And it's allowed to do so much more damage than it is if we can drag it out in the open and deal with it. You know, one of the most difficult things about living with my thorn is my fear of relationships. And in almost every relationship I've had, there's been this like thing in my head that says, you know what, you wouldn't love me if you knew. You know, I think maybe we all have things like that, maybe secrets that we keep, that we feel like if other people knew about this, they wouldn't really love me. You know, that fear left me wondering if people really love me. I felt that they might love the Paul that they see, but the real Paul, the one inside that's scared and broken, would they love him? You know, it's taken a long time for God to break down that fear and disable the lies. You know, I still sometimes feel that people I guess I doubt sometimes that people love me if they don't know that I'm gay. You know, and it doesn't matter like how genuine their love is and how sincere they are. It's not within their power at all. As long as I believe that they wouldn't love the real me, it's like I'm cut off from experiencing that love. So when I get close to people, just in relationships and friendships, I eventually feel like I need to tell them. You know, now I think we have to be really careful about who we trust with our most private hurts. Not everyone's gonna understand what you've been through. That's just how people are. But I found that like when I'm able to talk about the real me, that's when I began to know that I'm loved. When someone knows the real me, you know, they can pray for me. They can encourage me. They can keep me accountable. You know, I start to feel safe and loved in those relationships. And I'm still learning to build these relationships. You know, I've spent so much time of my life alone that kind of relationships can be awkward. You know, I've had to learn how to have friends, how to believe that there are people who actually care about me. You know, but I am starting to feel like I belong. And that's where God's brought me. You know, and it's really incredible because, you know, for so long, I believe that I could never, like, belong. 
that there was no place for me in the church, that no one would want me. You know, over the years, God has continued to draw me deeper into the fellowship of the church. And it's like, it's like he's constantly reminding me, you belong, you belong. You know, I know that I'm never gonna be married, but I wear this wedding band. And part of it is my commitment to purity. But for me, and this is because it's also the only wedding band I believe I'll ever wear, it means something more. And I think it means the same thing to any married man, that I belong to someone who loves me. You know, life is pretty good, actually. You know, I've had a really good experience here at Purpose Church. You know, I've found so many brothers and sisters that really get what it is to live under grace. You know, and I, I still struggle with my insecurities. You know, sometimes it's still hard to believe that I really belong, you know, that people really do care about me, or mostly that I matter to God. You know, I have these doubts all the time, and God constantly has to remind me, it's like what he's been doing in my life and what he's done already. It's like, remember, we've already learned this. You know, these hurts go deep, and, you know, I was living in some of these lies for so long that it's hard to stop believing them. But over and over again, I've seen God like crash through those walls that I've built and prove the lies wrong. You know, one of the most amazing things that I've seen God is to begin to use my story to encourage other people. Um, you know, and tonight's part of that. You know, instead of praying for God to remove the thorn, I started actually praying that he would use my, my story to display his grace. He gave me a purpose in the pain. You know, he's taken like one of the darkest and most broken parts of my life that I thought he would never be able to use and turned it into something that he can do good with. You know, it's really too incredible to believe. So, you know, I really hope that whatever it is that you might struggle with, whether it is this issue or something else, that you really learn that no one is too broken or too dirty to be loved. You know, God wants you. He does love you. And you do have a family here that's willing to walk with you. So, my name is Paul. I am a beloved child of God. I want to wish you grace and peace. Can I pray with you? Okay, let's pray. Father, you are a good, good father. And I thank you that you have loved me enough not to just take away my pain, but to actually use that to prove how big your grace and your love really are. And I want to pray that over all the students here, everybody in this room, Lord, that wherever you lead us in life, that you would help us understand more and more how deep and how far your love will go to reach us. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to speak tonight. I pray that your truth and your love will be spoken, Lord, that people would be blessed by that. And we give this all to you, in Jesus' name, amen.